That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Michelle Pobega, naturopathic doctor. And I'm Dr. David Miller, ND, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting all the pieces together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of healthcare. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you should know about. Okay, welcome to another episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. Dr. David Miller, ND, here with Michelle Pobega, ND. What's up? Hey, Dave. How are you today? Good, good. Good. Got a smart have- man with us today. We we sure do. We extended the invite, and he happily said yes, and we we're tickled pink by his... Uh- his appearance on the show today. Uh, we have Dr. Jonathan Beatty. He's a naturopathic doctor and he's been an ND since 2007, recently purchased a small farm to begin uh, a regenerative and biodynamic farming as part of his ongoing journey to balance health. And this is primarily what we want to be able to talk about today is his interest in that foundational care that medicine and supplements basically just cannot replicate. He also has worked in natural health product formulations and a variety of multidisciplinary clinics and is now producing professional continuing education courses. And we're so happy to have him on the show Welcome to the podcast, Jonathan. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, honored to be here. It's always nice to be, you know, interviewed by the best. <laughs> oh, stop. Oh, stop. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I was looking at your biography and um, I was thinking, why are we talking about this, this farm? But it, it, it's part, it's, I mean, it's rec- it's a recent development in your life. So it's important that way, but it's also, um, you know, you, you, feel like there's an importance to talking about connection with ecosystem, right. As part of just like foundational medicine. So, um, you're living, you're living what you, you preach or whatever. Um, do you want to maybe give us a little bit of, uh, I know some of the things you've done, but not, not all the listeners do. Do you want to give us a little bit of like a short version of how you got to the point where you're, uh, really understanding this connection with ecosystem and the farm and all that? Yes, please. Um, Okay, I'll try. I'll try to be this super short, and I am not known for being concise, so my apologies in advance if I carry on too long. Um, but yeah, no, my original. So my original um, schooling was animal biology with the intention of being a veterinarian, and then uh, I was quite the sickly kid. And when I went to university, part of pre-veterinary medicine is nutrition, and then I that's how I sort of uh, got my gateway drug going. With I always talk about like nutrition is your gateway drug to health. And, um, started noticing that, you know, what you eat has an impact on your health. And then after I sort of implemented some of that into my own life, I decided I didn't want to be a vet anymore. I wanted to treat humans, um, specifically around nutrition, figured out this naturopathy thing. Like I'm not one of the naturopaths that had ever actually seen a naturopath when I took Mm. the leap of faith to come to school. Uh, anyway, fast forward a few years, went out into practice you know, very science-driven, evidence-based medicine, research, research, research. Um, but then I would have all these exceptions to the rule. And the thing was, is these were the types of patients that, um, you know, like the, the 90-year-old 
you know, old Eastern European man that's still out there, you know, chopping his own wood by hand. I'm going like, you know, you can buy like a wood splitter, right? That's like gas powered or like electric. And then I realized, oh no, except that the reason you're sitting in front of me, not taking any medications, living in your nineties and have the like functionality in your, at your age to do that is because you never stopped doing that. And yeah. that like humans have this natural drive for comfort. We have a natural drive against change and, but that's not necessarily done out of our own, for our own health. And that a lot of the things we've invented, we, we didn't necessarily like create them for our health. We created them for our convenience. And the more we start to, you know, move towards that, we're actually moving away from health. And I, you know, and then I started seeing these studies and I don't know how they uh, necessarily uh, come up with them, but like that, you know, this generation is expected to have a shorter life expectancy than previous generations. Again, I don't know how they, you know, estimate that, but for the first time ever, like human life expectancy has always gotten bigger and now we're getting shorter and it's like, well, why? And I started realizing what I'm trying to do is essentially adapt like human animals. Um, Cause you know, we might be a higher functioning animal, but at the end of the day, we're still, you know, like 200 years ago, we didn't have most of the stuff we have today. Um, and, and life was a lot different. And now we're in these like this super modern world and we're trying to adapt into our society and into our world. And I don't think that that's necessarily like with the best interest of health in mind. Like a lot of these changes were done for economics or for other reasons. And in doing so, we've sacrificed a lot of our health. We've become very inactive you know, you, people in like these office jobs and especially, I mean, let's, without getting in, in, into the changes in the last few years, you know, there's people I talk to patients and they don't literally leave their house because they now work from home. And so they can go five days without stepping outside and okay. like how far away from just connection to health that that is. But then they're trying to be like, what pill do I take? And I'm like, there's, there's no pill for sunlight. Like you can, right. You know, people say, Oh, vitamin D. And it's like, well, no, no, no. Vitamin D is a byproduct of exposure to solar radiation, but like the sun is not shooting vitamin D at you. Right. Like they call it the sunshine vitamin, but it's not like bombarding us with little vitamin D particles. And there's so much more to it. If you, I mean, look up the term Zeitgeber, which is one of my favorite, but it's basically like the effect of sunlight on the human system. And then, of course, how it regulates our hormonal systems, our circadian rhythms. And if you just don't have that natural light or you're bombarded with even, say, blue light in the background, it'll act like a zeitgeber and completely disrupt our rhythms. And then we just hope that, you know, some random pill is going to fix it. And so that's where, at least for myself, I, I sort of started looking at, well, what do, not what do I want to be when I'm 50 because I'm getting close to there. But what do I want to be when I'm like 75 and 80? Mm. And I feel like most people live their health with like, I want to be healthy at 50. Well, I want to be healthy at 75 and 80. So what are the changes I need to make now to get there? And that's sort of what brought about the farm. And because that also um, is where I feel content. You know, mm. as soon as I could get two days in a row together, I'm, I'm the type that's like, get me as far away from the city as I possibly can. Um, you know, get me out into the woods, get me out into a field just cause that's what, you know, sort of suits me. And so that's why I like, and I don't think necessarily like farming is the answer for everybody, but it's also know yourself, know where your reward systems come from and, 
you know, life is hard. So I always say, you know, choose your heart. Right. So nice. I like it. I like it. I like the, also the, 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 the pointing out that vitamin, even just the sun thing, vitamin D is one component of the benefits of sun. Like there is an astronomical amount from that. And we've had um, Dr. Catherine Clinton talking about how the negative charge and the connection to nature does affects your structured water body, affects your nervous system. And it's not just the sun, it's all of those things. So it's, it's people, people, we, we get very reductionist, reductionist, I find just as humans, we like to reduce things and just get very linear about stuff, but it's far more complex and a multitude of benefits by connecting to nature more. So I appreciate you bringing this to the conversation and reinforcing that for our audience. Oh, uh, well, thank you. And it, I mean, it, it also comes into like, you go to the grocery store, what foods do you have to buy? Well, you'll notice like there's so many vegetables available. Most people eat 10, right? There's like, we just don't have this variety in our diet anymore. Um, there was a time where we would eat, you know, or uh, even a hundred years ago, if you looked at a seed catalog, there'd be 400 different types of beans you could buy. Nowadays, there's, yeah, nowadays there's like 10. If you start to look oh. in, th there's over 500 types of mango, right? You've maybe seen three in your life. If you're, uh -huh. if you go into, you know, like different stores that sell all sorts of like wide variety yeah. and we just don't have this variety in our food. And so we start talking about not just the, the nutrients, right? Which are like the, well, my, my big one on that, and, and this spoils my question for when I ask it in public, but the definition of the nutrient, basic molecules required to support and sustain life in the absence of disease. So any nutrient deficiency creates a disease state. Mm. Um, we often forget that aspect to it. But then there's also those other health um, providing compounds in food, you know, the, the je ne sais quoi's, the I don't know what's which are like res the resveratrol that's in res red wine, you know, the quercetin that's in apples or in onion, that kind of stuff that have all these health providing benefits, even if they're not necessarily a nutrient. And so with that, a lot of it comes down to the consumption of variety. And, you know, for instance, most people don't realize that half the, uh, half the flowers they grow in their front garden, in their perennial garden, are actually foods. Like hosta is related to asparagus and is edible, hmm. right? And everyone's got them just because it's nice foliage that fills up space in their garden. They don't realize that the reason we started cultivating it in the first place was as a food source because hmm. it's one of the first spring vegetables. Or, oh. you know, it's like all these weird little things where people, they all have purple coneflower not realizing it's echinacea, right? Like uh -huh. there's all these like overlaps. And so for me, being on land gives me a variety of foods and medicines that I get to live around and I'm weirdly like, people would think I'm incredibly intentional about it. I'm, I'm like literally the polar opposite where I'll just be kind of, you know, day to day wandering around my, my farm and stumble across, oh, there's some nettle. Okay, I'm going to eat some of that today. Oh, there's some milkweed. I'm going to eat some of that today. Oh, there's some wild bergamot. I'm going to eat some of that today or lamb's quarter. And, you know, not because I'm eating it out of purpose of like, oh, I've got this, you know, I've got this problem, therefore I need to eat this herb. It's more in order to prevent those problems from even coming, mm. I'm just going to ensure a lot of variety and try to make sure that like, I don't have deficiencies of any of these random little compounds, mm -hmm. like proactive so, so instead of reactive. 
John, how, how does this, like, it, it all sounds great in like summer, fall and all that, but how does, how does the farming and sustainability thing hold up? Like when it comes to winter, uh, in the part, the latitudes that we're sort of at, <laughs> well, it, it, well, you don't do a lot of gardening. Um, that's one thing, but again, like you got your pine trees, you got your, like all your evergreens still around. So, um, that's something I'm focusing on next year because I've realized that's a, a lack I have on my property is sort of ever bearing food and, and, and evergreen type foods. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. And then of course, greenhousing is the other way that you can do it because depending on the style of greenhouse you have, I mean, there's, there's geodesic greenhouses you can get that, um, they'll keep growing areas up to 10 degrees Celsius. So you can still grow basic leafy greens mm-hmm. when it's minus 20. Out. So yeah, things people don't know. Well, so I was wondering when the science support. would catch up, like would catch up to some of this stuff. Cause I feel like we've got a, a sustainability food, sustainability issue in, in Canada. And um, I was wondering when, you know, we, I don't know, like the good food science would catch up. And I've, I've found recently, like in, in where I live, we don't, we're outside of like the, the initial reach, I think of a lot of the good fruits and vegetables sort of, uh, you know, logistics. So, but what I've seen recently, we get, I can get Canadian strawberries now. Mm. And, and I'm, I'm, I think that's, that's really cool because uh, <laughs> they're not coming from far. We're supporting our own, our economy. And I'm, I don't know, this is a bit of a random tangent, but I don't know how that's happening, but it sounds good to me. Well, they're, they're greenhouse grown, but so are the ones you're getting from California or Mexico right. um, in off season. So it's like, it's, it's just literally like you're getting fresher greenhouse grown produce. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of it comes down to, to basically it's like going old fashioned on purpose is, is, you know, one of the approaches that we take. And when it comes to like farming in the winter, it's, it's actually your, it's maintenance time. It's the time you repair your buildings. It's the time you maintain your equipment. It's the time you plan and plot for your next right. season. And so like, like you know, uh, first weekend of January, my wife and I sat down and what are we going to add to our gardens this year? How are we going to plant our gardens? What seeds do we need? How did we eat last year? What do we need this year? That kind of stuff. So it gets into that. And then um, we have to learn um, food preservation is the other thing so it's a lot of it is very seasonal and but it gives you a rhythm to live by so that mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's not you do this all year round that you do it in kind of fits and spurts and there's times mm-hmm. that are way 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 busier and then there's times you're going to get to like sit back and relax a bit and i mean classically humans in this area in the winter they were that's when they were you know that's when you would do your sewing and your knitting and your like leather work and you would build and do your wood carving and all that kind of stuff and so but you make tools and make make things for your for your garden and so weirdly that's what we do and so like it's a lot of times like winters like chicken coop improvements and weird stuff like that um so and and this year we're planning on getting cattle so it's um infrastructure for cows is literally our next like that's what we're working on now cool cool. so so this this little f- farming tangent and and uh, understanding of John Beatty the man and how he lives, how does how does that relate to like how you because you're you're well you're, well we could say health in general but I, maybe just I'll I'll keep it even just a little more uh, close in like how do you 
how do you treat your patients and how does how is that reflected in sort of what you're doing like is there what's the link there yeah well and a lot of it comes down to back to that like the, the foundations of medicine so it's like what does the human body really need to to not just survive but to thrive like it's like i i mean our thing is sort of heal optimize or, or you know sort of heal optimize and thrive so it's getting people not from just like that absence of illness into how do you feel in the day like i don't wake up being like 50 percent uh excellent like yeah that's good enough like no i'm like 110 percent or broke realizing of course that anything above 100 is it, you can't get um but it's that whole idea of like how is your body moving so what's your exercise and how are you exercising how are you fueling it how are you getting your vitamin n or your nature you know how are you getting your sun exposure how are you sleeping you know and it's like if you talk to most people, they don't have their basics in order. And then we go to the, it's, it's like not knowing the alphabet. And then you go to your doctor and they're trying to like teach you like the song, you know, Shakespearean sonnets. And you're like, well, I don't know. Like, I don't know my alphabet. Like it just, they, they, they hyper complicate it right away. But I mean, it's like building a house without building a foundation first, right? You can build the most elaborate, crazy high tech house. But if you have a shoddy foundation, that thing's going to sink and collapse back into the earth in no time, yeah. right? And that's where my foundations come from because I find most people when they walk in the office, the most profound, life-changing, health-changing things you get out of them is like, do you drink enough water? Start there. Mm. Like, and, it, and it's wild, you know? Oh, you got blood pressure issues? Like, how much water do you, do you drink? And right away, they're like, what? And it's like, how much water do you drink? And, and it seems almost like too easy and you just like, yeah, this totally. is your target um, or constipation. Oh my gosh. Like talk about shooting fish in a barrel. Like, Oh, you're constipated. How much water do you drink? Not enough. Okay. Why do you think your stool is so hard? and so hard to pass. You yeah. don't have enough water. Your body can't, doesn't have enough water to make proper stools so that you can function. And like, it's, it's that simple. And sometimes it's like you correct the, the most basic things, then we can complicate things. I mean, I do some very complex medicine with some patients, but generally after we get at the, like the foundational work, um, you know, what's, what are you doing behavior wise? That's, that's creating the disease state as to why you're presenting. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause it's like, if you don't, you know, let, let's say you're a paramedic and you come across a scene, you know, someone calls 911 and you show up on scene and there's a perpetrator stabbing another human and you're the paramedic. And so instead of stopping that, that's a great water bottle, by the way, instead of stopping <laughs> that, um, you just basically walk up and just start <laughs> stitching up the wounds. Now, what do you think the prognosis of that patient's going to be? Yeah. Well, the whole time, I mean, you can't stitch faster than that guy can cut them. Yeah. So like the, the, the outcomes aren't going to be great. Do you preserve their life a little longer? Sure. Maybe do you provide them a little bit of comfort? Sure. But at the end of the day, that, that person's survival is not very high. Whereas if you take the knife away from the perpetrator and stop the damage from occurring, your chances of healing that person, but you know, it, it, like it dramatically increases. And so that's like a lot of my approach in medicine is like, like, what are you doing for self-harm? And then how do we basically stop that? And also like, how are you nourishing your body's natural innate healing? Um, And that's a big one. Cause if you, you know, if you just think about it, you have to understand that that's even a thing. Right. And I don't know if a lot of people understand that that's 
Like I, I think long and hard about it sometimes. Like your body's able to heal from without you doing to me. You just give it the right stuff and watch it go. I, I always use the idea of a fracture to explain that to patients because when they're like, what, what does your doctor do? They literally line up the two broken pieces and they wrap it in a cast to hold it that way. And then they just leave you alone and you leave it alone for a couple of weeks. And then when you come back, they take the cast off and Lottie die, you're done. And it's like, the what doctor magic? fixed it. Right. The yeah. doctor fixed it. Like, no, the body, fixed it. the doctor <laughs> like lined it up so that it fixed itself mm. in the right shape. Right. But, and, and like, there's, you know, so there's a need there for that little bit of trauma care but you innately healed. And by the way, if you supplemented your, your, your diet and made sure you had adequate protein intake, adequate mineral intake, it healed faster and it healed better and it healed stronger. And so there's things you can do to augment that. By the end of the day, your body healed you. You know, like most disease, your body's healing you. How are you supporting that process? And I find when it's like the struggle is to explain it to patients, I always go back to a fracture because it's something they can relate to. They had they, most people have an experience either directly or, or, or through somebody close to them. They've seen it in action. They go, Oh yeah, actually that does make sense. Mm -hmm. Right. And mm -hmm. it's simplistic. Yeah, no, it is, it's a big disconnect for like a lot of people. They don't understand. They come, it's part of my, it's a part of the discussion in a meet and greet now, where I lay down the foundations to be like, we have to figure out what's standing in the way of you healing and what do we need to optimize so your body can just do what it needs to do. Like, where's the roadblocks and where are you missing basic like foundational care? And then and it, your body just, ta-da, like somehow finds its way. Not ta-da all the time, but like it really does. It, <laughs> it, might just it does and it's a deeper societal problem because we we've learned to um sort of shop out all of our personal needs right it's yeah. like yeah, you yeah. get food you go to the restaurant somebody cooks it for you and like you know i have tons of patients that you know they, well okay maybe we'll we'll try like you know maybe substituting this for rice like i don't know how to make rice like what and then it's like you literally add like it's like put rice and water together and boil it like it's like it's, like, it's not yeah. i don't even like consider it cooking because it's just it's so which mindless is, which is also flabbergasting in the day of technology where everybody just looks things up like this you could just look up how to cook rice like that's just it feels like a lazy excuse too to me <laughs> oh, I, well that, and that's when i do i'm like you got a phone and they go yeah I'm like what do you got are you android or apple and then oh i got this and i'm like okay so use that it's the same thing drink water and they're like i always forget I'm like, okay, open your phone, open the alarm setting. And they're like, yeah, I'm like put on every day. And we're going to make a, a, like a daily alarm by 11 AM. It says I've drank one liter of water. And then you're going to set another alarm. It's going to say 3 PM. I've drank two liters of water. And guess what? If that alarm goes off and you have not finished that liter of water, I want you to sit there and guzzle that liter of water. And you're going to be super uncomfortable doing that. And you know why you're going to be super uncomfortable? Because that's going to be your lesson not to wait until the alarm goes off at 11 to start learning how to drink water. And within three weeks, you're not going to need the alarm anymore. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I literally, like some patients, I will literally give them, I'm like, I use their phones and their conveniences against them. And I make them set alarms, like bedtime. How many adults I make set their own bedtime because they just can't do it. And I'm like, this, you have to start scheduling and, and creating rhythms. Why? Because these were all the problems I had. And these are the strategies I used. Mm -hmm. is is a lot of what it is what is Love getting from dr john right but let's get back to the like the fundamentals and then looking at reasons why 
that's my other thing is like you know um i i very much play the like almost i'll I'll get into somebody's psyche and sort of like why are you here i want to be healthy i'm like okay that's not a good enough excuse like that's why what do you want to be healthy for like well i don't want to die i'm like okay nobody wants to die what do you want to be healthy for like if you had if you win the lottery tomorrow what are you doing right like how do you want to spend your time let's work on that because when you have somebody's why then you can explain how all of their all the changes they're going to make are going to now implement into their diet into their life so like here's why you're going to change your diet to to for your why here's why you're going to drink water for your why here's why you need to sleep for your why here's why you need movement for your why and then you apply it that way and you personalize it and in doing so you're you're not just giving somebody like you had you guys had dr yash on and and he's you know great but it's like you know why people choose candy over kale even though they know the kale is going to make them feel better right and it's because they don't have their why and so it's getting into those foundations um and teaching people about why they do the things they do in their day and are they doing it to serve them or are they just doing it because they're used to it right and i realized after like a long time of doing of you know being in medicine there's like I mean, don't get me wrong. You can use the scientific method to, to learn all sorts of stuff about your world. You can have all of this knowledge. Um, but, you know, your average patient can go, if, if they wanted to learn about it, as you alluded to, you can just jump on your phone or jump on your computer. You can look it up, you know, jump on DuckDuckGo and, and just look it up, jump on Brave, look it up. Um, but people don't. Okay. So it's not, they're not coming to you necessarily for the knowledge. They're coming to you for the guide. And that's the thing that we just have to learn how to translate um, health into a way that's doable for the patient. And this is why I always start everybody with foundations, because it's usually simple changes they can make that have the most profound impacts. Because again, you're correcting deficiencies, right? Which are like, it's like, what's getting in your body's way of healing? Oh, I don't have enough B12. All right, well, (laughs) let's give you B12. Because guess what? No amount of drugs or herbs in the world is going to fix a B12 deficiency unless they're loaded with B12. Yeah. Right. John, if, if, if you had to, choose, I'm just going to give you like a, a bit of a random question here. I, I guess that's what I'm doing today. Anyway, if, if you had the choice and I said, uh, people are going to come to you, your patients are going to come to you because as you get, you know, into this naturopathic thing, you get, we talked about this earlier but it's a phenomenon that most people have been in practice for a while knows that as you as you practice longer you see more and more difficult kind of complex cases as well paradoxically you learn more about the foundations which is kind of some interesting paradox if i said to you for your practice you're going to see people who are doing all the foundations properly or are already doing all the foundations uh or sorry they are doing all the foundations or aren't doing all the foundations what, what what would you prefer to see? Well, that's a tough one. I don't know that. Um, I think, I guess, if people were doing the foundations properly, because that would mm-hmm. allow me to kind of like really get into the complex stuff and, and really expand my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a way, I, I like that. But I also, not going to lie, love the experience of watching people with really complex diseases get like so much better from just changing the foundations and changing the basics. And Mm -hmm. so like at the end of the day, my big thing is, is the outcomes. It's that motivation. It's like, what, 
like, I guess I don't, yeah, I, I do it more to see somebody's appreciation of their own healing journey. And so, yeah, whether they've got foundations in place or not, it's, it's more how motivated they are, how committed to their own health they are is, mm. it would be mine. The more committed yeah. people are, I love heart attack patients. Um, cause you don't have, they, they've, they've, I always talk about, they've had their meet God moment. Mm. Yeah. Like, they, like, why do you want to like their motivation is un, it's so profoundly strong. Like you can ask these people to do the most difficult things in the world. And they're like, yep, I don't want to die. Cool. I will do whatever you ask me. Um, yeah. so they're, they're very easy to work with because they're heavily motivated. But if somebody's like got their foundations in check and they're not sick enough to motivate them or they're not, you know, uh, uncomfortable enough to be motivated, they would be very difficult to actually work with because their foundations are in place. So they're not going to degenerate really rapidly and their motivation may be lacking because they're going to feel pretty good. So yeah. they might, they would be like, I would be struggling with how to reach that person and, and, and really get action out of them. Um, but also if their foundations in place, their need for me is going to be a lot less. So I'd even, you know, ethically struggle with like, why, why am I wasting my time and energy trying to take somebody from like 99% to hundred percent when I got a wait list of patients that are like feeling 27% that I could really help, you know, even if I only got them to 98%. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. It's a, it's a really thorough answer. I was, I was thinking of one, con, one specific combo. Maybe you didn't bring up, maybe I missed it was that the people who are doing all the foundations, they want to get like, they want to get well, they, they aren't right. Yeah. Oh, I, I love those people. Yeah, I know they're, yeah. um, I'm they're great I to love... work with, right. Cause they got the motivation. They, they have the desire and they've, they've done the some of the heavy lifting of foundational work and, and then you can really shine. Cause I know you can handle complex chronic disease and yeah. Yeah. I love all the outside the box stuff. I love the, as we were talking earlier, like the strange rare and peculiar cases where, you know, you see like mold intoxication, that kind of stuff or mold colonization cases, which are sometimes really hard to see because they manifest in so many different ways. Um, they're a pain in the butt to treat cause it's usually their, their living space. Um, and you know, gets expensive for them, not for me. Um, but, uh, it's, it's that kind of work that I really, really like. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Bless you. But, but I, I appreciate that. <clears throat> I think, I think you said something really important though, is that people have to, they have to have a why and they have to be motivated and they're, and unfortunately we don't live in a world where people think preventatively they think because of pain points and then they react because of that. And that's a, and that's a big deal. Like, uh, like people come to see me and they want weight loss. And I was like, but your fatty liver, your diabetes, you're this, you're this. And they're like, but I want to lose weight. And that's their pain point. But all of this stuff was, they don't even care about that because they don't feel it. <laughs> oh, ab absolutely. Right? It's, it's frustrating. I've always told patients I don't do weight loss. Mm -hmm. Um, I do health and yeah. like weight loss will usually like, or weight stabilization, as I call it, will usually come. But, um, like when I first started in practice, I worked in a sports medicine based clinic mm. and we dealt with a lot of professional bodybuilders, no, they're, they're models, not athletes. You want to see some of the most unhealthy patients you'll ever meet. And many of them are the professional bodybuilders because they are literally willing to sacrifice their own health for how they look. 
um, like people don't realize like one of the one of the secrets of the industry is uh, they all take uh, they all buy insulin illegally because it's a growth hormone. Oh, I had a gentleman who would literally take 30 units of insulin before bed, set an alarm and wake up at two in the morning and eat a row of Oreo cookies so that they didn't fall into a diabetic coma before waking up. Um, I'm that's, revolted. That's, and, and that's not an uncommon practice in the bodybuilding industry. Like that, the, and, and so you, you see these people and like, people are like, oh, I want to be that healthy. I want to look like that. And I'm like, nope, no interest whatsoever because I know what it takes to do that. And question for you, ever see a retired bodybuilder? They're, they're not, it's not good. <laughs> they, they rare, they, how about this? They rarely make it because of cardiac hypertrophy. Oh, their their hearts grow bigger, but so do the chamber and, and the, the heart muscle grows bigger, but the chambers get smaller. So now you have increased cardiac load. So you've got all that vascular resistance of those giant muscular bodies. Their hearts are trying to push against all that vascular resistance. So the heart becomes stronger, but of course the heart has to feed itself and it has to feed that giant mass of muscles. And it literally becomes like, it, it's an engineering problem essentially where the heart muscle cannot sustain feeding that system for as long. And it becomes the bigger they get, the more inefficient the heart gets because the smaller the um, ventricles get. And essentially it's like they, they just, they, they burn the muscle out That's and they crazy. all die of cardiac issues. That's and crazy. yeah. And it's one of those things people really never think about. And it's, it's, but it's breaking again down like cardiovascular disease into a why, because guess mm -hmm. what? No amount of amlodipine correcting their high blood pressure. Yeah. Like, or you might change it, but it's not going to save their life. So, you know, the, th the, the thing about what we see in modern day society is most problems that are chronic health conditions are lifestyle based problems. And a lot like, like fatty liver disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, all these kinds of things. But people will live their lives for a really long period of time, not feeling the effects of that, even though their labs come back and their doctor says stuff and whatever, but they don't do anything because they don't feel the immediate effect. So, and, but a lot of that is foundational work. A lot of that just goes back to what are you eating? How are you moving your body? So my question to you is how do you begin to help people understand or like what's the conversation with that type of a person to help them make that kind of a connection again? A lot of the time, like day one, it starts day one with why are you here? Mm -hmm. And then when they give me, if, if they give me a good answer, we can move on. Mm -hmm. And if not, I start pressing them for finding their why to figure Got out it. their motivations. So that's, that's a big one. And then helping them understand. Um, I'm probably actually like not I'd like to think I have a nice bedside manner, but I, I know for a fact there are a lot of patients that come into my office and we have one, maybe two appointments, but they don't come back because the personal responsibility I place on them. And it's not, I don't think it's a problem necessarily with them or with me other than like we weren't meant, we weren't meant, the way I've sort of resolved it is we weren't meant to meet at this time in our lives. Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, like it, 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 doesn't mean that you're a bad person or you're going to be unhealthy, but what you're looking for isn't what I'm offering. Right. And so I've definitely tried to um, triage those patients out of my practice or, or screen to avoid that. I mean, I have the nice benefit of a wait list and it's, it's weird because in doing so you get the people that are committed. 
The people right. that are going to sit and wait three months to see you as a new patient, um, they're the ones that are willing to do the hard work. The ones that are like, oh, three months? No, I want to be better tomorrow. They're, I give them names of all, uh, you know, a bunch of other naturopaths that have space um, or other approaches that they can take. And so in doing so, I, I, I find I get a little bit more of a committed patient mm-hmm. um, through that. And then, but a lot of it is, is asking people their why. And then I take the time to really try and explain. I, I also, I'm, I'm a questioner. Um, my personality is if I know why something is, I can just click my brain over and do it. And so I tend to over-explain to patients as I'm probably doing to you guys right now. And so I'll explain systems and I'll explain, but, but the biggest thing when it comes to treatment plans is like my first appointment, it takes me probably 30 minutes to go over the treatment plan with them. And a lot of naturopaths are like, wait, what? You don't just like give them the, use the diet, the supplements. I, I usually give them like, you know, a couple hundred recipes that match the dietary requirements I've given them. Um, but I explain what each step of the treatment is for and how it's actually going to implement, like impact their life and what's going to be short-term, what's going to be long-term because when they have expectation and they have a knowledge of why they're doing it, I find outcomes and compliance are way, way, way higher. Mm. People need to know the why they need to know what you're thinking. And they usually appreciate it when the doctor actually engages them and explains it to them so that they can then, you know, explain to their friends and families why they can't eat certain foods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because otherwise they can't do when they, you know, hey, you need to be gluten free. The first birthday party they go to, they can't do it because they can't explain why they're turning down the pizza. Right. You give them the power to explain it in a way of like, oh, my doctor thinks it might be causing me harm in this way. People don't push past that. Right. Walk into a dot, walk into a party and someone offers you an alcoholic drink and say no. What happens? It's like the one drug you're not allowed to refuse, right? It's like that weird, <laughs> it's that weird societal thing. But you know, if you're like, oh, do you want a do you want a cup of coffee? No, I'm good. Okay, that's fine. You want a cake? No, I'm good. Why? Why aren't you eating the cake? Come on, eat the cake. Like because well, they want good. it to Trust be more okay for them too, right? That's a lot of where well, that's that comes that's from. a lot of it is is personal. If they don't have willpower, they want to take your willpower too. Yeah. That's a, that's a big one socially is that people, mm-hmm. if they, like if they can't do it, they need to short circuit everybody around them. They can. That's um, it. It's, it's a reflection of them not being able to commit to their health. So they're like, we're going to sabotage. <laughs> right. You're like, they're like, I can't eat that. Why not? Oh, I'm on a diet. So I feel better. And the person eating is going like, oh yeah, this is making yeah, me feel crazy. terrible. <laughs> and then, oh yeah, yeah. Come on. Just one, just one. Um, and it's, and, and there is, there's a lot of that, but it's, it's, a lot of it comes down again, personal responsibility for health. We've been raised in a society where we didn't have it. You know, are you, are you, are you sick? No. How do you know? Oh, my doctor says so. Hmm. Right. Are you healthy? Yeah. How do you know? My doctor says so. Hmm. How do you feel people, you know, it's that like, how, hi, how are you? Good. (laughs) Right. Why are you here? I say that to patients all the time. How are you doing today? And they're like, good. Okay, why are you here? And then they laugh because they realize that they like got caught in that cycle of like, I'm like, no, I actually care about your answer. Right. And that's how I, and, and in saying that to them, I find people then open up to me. Mm-hmm. I was like, how are you doing today? Good. Or no, you're not. Why? Well, if you were good, you wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's say, true. I, well, I, I say, come on in, come on in and tell me the truth. 
<laughs> yeah. We've yeah. all got like our that. line. Yeah. But when you do that to your patients, that's how you get them to heal. Because right away, then they actually, the weird part with that question, one of the most profound questions in medicine, because that's how you'll get your patient to tell you what's really going on. Mm-hmm. Right. Why are you insomnia? Why do you have hot flashes? Why are your hormones all over the place? And then you find out it's like, oh, well, my grandchild's in the ICU at sick kids and, you know, there's heart problems. I'm like, oh, this all makes a whole bunch of sense. Guess yeah. what? I'm not going to give you some like random herbs for hot flashes. I'm not going to give you some like melatonin to help you sleep. I'm going to work more on your adrenal gland, sympathetic nervous system, and stress response because all those other things are just manifestations of the worry you have for your grandchild. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're doing effective medicine versus you're trying to treat this person for like, you know, undisclosed hormonal imbalance, insomnia, all these other issues, but not knowing their why, like what's the cause of their illness. And all of a sudden it's like, when did all of this start? Oh, that time I had this happen. Mm -hmm. Um, There's your, you know, never well since that you get to chart. Right. Um, And it's, and a lot of the times that's like what we go back. I had, I mean, a new patient this morning I discussed and it was, um, you know, a, a lot of emotional changes around their menstrual cycles hmm. and they, they're not happy with who they are. Well, guess what? It actually in, in timing, we got it out of them. It comes to when they ripped open their home office in their basement after they had a leak and there was mold. Oh. Right. And I would, and you know, 10 years ago, I'd be giving this person some dong quai and some other, you know, hormone herbs mm-hmm. and seeing what we can do. And now I'm like, oh no, no, no. You need to go to the like hardware store and get some concrobium or some like other mold resolution. And like before we even work on like a ton of other stuff, you need to get the mold out of your basement. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, cause like, when did it start? And they'll give you that time. And it's weird how they're like, and they know it, but they can't draw the connection. Mm-hmm. And then that's your job as the doctor to draw that connection for them and then teach them the true healing that like you have basically like mold poisoning schooled by that onset thing still once in a while like I, I had a guy this week and and i'm trying to discern whether it's like a stomach or lung thing going on with this cough because it can be confusing and if you look at the anatomy it's pretty obvious why they become quite confusing especially if they're high up and it, and i went back to just like onset when when this happened it was and it was ever since he got a he had a cough and he and uh so i did i just like touched him did some physical exam and it's like well it's, it's all tense around his ribs and his lungs. And I'm like, okay, well, and you know, my bias is often to go to guts. Like, you know, Michelle, you know, our bias, we talk about our bias, which is a good thing. But if you don't uh, recognize you have it, anyway, just so I went back to onset. I was like, wait, 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 when did this start again? Oh yeah. After this cough, nothing before that. So it's like onset is key. It's to the point that I'm thinking about putting it in my charts. Just like, so I always remember onset, like, like, like this person you're saying like mold, regardless of everything else, you know, the horm- there could be hormonal dysfunction. There could be like uh, structural dysfunction in the gynecological sort of organs or could whatever, but it all started with the, with the mold. And, and so, yeah, good case taking. So, right. so important. So important. And, and it doesn't mean you can't um, palliate that person either. So while yeah. you solve, you know, the grander problem, you can give them some herbs and some interventions to right. help manage their symptoms and make them more comfortable in their disease. But the key is to get at the underlying cause of their disease. Like that's what I always say is like modern medicine is designed around making us more comfortable in our illness. 
It's not mm-hmm. about necessarily correcting it, but just make us stop complaining about it, right? Mm-hmm. Like fibromyalgia is probably your perfect example of that because most patients, the number one treatment is antidepressants. Do you know why? Because uh, fibromyalgia um, studies are all subjective scales. So if you create flat affect by putting somebody in an antidepressant, they complain about it less, which statistics, right? But that statistically gives them an improvement. And so you see these subjective scale improvements in their symptomatology, not because they actually necessarily get better, but they just complain about it less. And then that translates into literally like a, like a, a treatment plan. But when you talk to you know, patients that have that, and it's often much more of like a mitochondrial metabolic disease, um, but you know, they're just, hey, what, why do we put you on this? Well, they complain less. It's like, well, yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're better. Um, and I see that, you know, all the time. And then there's just, I mean, the other one is like popu- certain patient populations that just get overlooked. And that's another area with foundations that we have to get to is, is understanding that there are differences amongst people. And that mm-hmm. like the foundation for me is not necessarily going to be the same as the foundation for you, uh, Michelle, or you, David, like what our foundational needs are is different that biochemical individual, you know, individuality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, once you start to understand that, I mean, and this is where foundational medicine can, it, it sounds almost easy, but then it gets really complicated because you start to realize we all have these genetic polymorphisms, right? Who's got ear lobes versus the ears that stick right to their head or blue eyes versus brown eyes. And, and then of course, you know, who's got a functional MTHFR and who doesn't, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So you've talked about um, you've talked about issues sometimes with like motivation and purpose and why. You've talked about foundations a lot. You've talked about how we're sort of uh, out of touch as a culture and and therefore with sort of resultant issues with personal health responsibility. But what do you see as the like the main obstacle to cure in in practice? Like, there's just a few, but is there is there something else that you think is the main obstacle to cures or improvements or healing? Oh, I mean, that's a that's a. I think it's individual to the person. I mean, hands down, I would say our our number one problem, and this is just going back to my gateway drug answer is is nutrition. I would say that the the average human is has a nutrient deficit, mm-hmm. and it's often hard to see. And we and the trouble is we don't have a great set of um, testing that you can do. I get this question from patients all the time. You know, can I test all my vitamins and minerals and make sure they're at the right levels? No. And like because well, we we don't we actually don't know what those look like. We don't have good baselines for them. We don't have a grand poly test that can tell you that there's confounding factors for just about every single one of those. So we don't have that. But the one thing I can tell you is you're probably deficient. Like we live in a world now where there's, I think in the last I checked, there were 60,000 chemicals for sale in Europe, in Canada that are banned for sale in Europe because they're toxic to human health. 60,000, right? So you start to think of all the metabolic, like detoxification pathways Mm -hmm that are required to get rid of all of this stuff and all the problems it causes. Um, but ultimately a lot of it comes down to just straight having the nutrient reserves to allow the body to function. Like, the, like that's what defines a nutrient, right? It's that fundamental chemical that our bodies develop a disease state without. And so I find that like 
malnutrition and we we live in a society where we're overfed and undernourished mm-hmm. right where it's not just like yes a calorie is an you know a c- carbohydrate sugar protein or fat they're nutrients they're macronutrients but you know we have an excess of fuel or like an excess you know, of fuel and a, a deficiency of all the sort of cofactors that go with it so mm-hmm. we end up you know a lot of the time we end up with like we have i was we have a wood fireplace at home that we heat our house with. So we have, I always talk about, we have wet wood and not enough oxygen. So most people are producing a lot of smoke. They're producing a lot of smog, a lot of exhaust. You're getting very inefficient um, burning of that fuel. And, you know, there's a great scene in Beverly Hills Cop where I know, right. Of all the, of all the references, I, I, I bet you didn't think I was going here, but no, there's a scene it. where Axel Foley, um, is uh parks his car and there's two police officers staking him out and so he sends some room service and then he sneaks outside and he sticks a banana in their tailpipe and he sneaks back into the hotel and he goes down he gets in his car and drives away and when the cops try to follow him their engine stalls and it's mm-hmm. not because it ran out of gas it's because it couldn't get rid of exhaust and i use that analogy with patients all the time to explain how inefficient use of that fuel creates fatigue. It creates this buildup of metabolic byproducts that we have to, of course, detoxify. Um, you know, and that's the stuff that makes us tired. That's the stuff that makes us sore. That's the stuff that makes us crampy. That's the stuff that, you know, um, our liver, for instance, has a hierarchy of uh, toxin breakdown. So it's primarily breaking down one thing, which is preventing it from breaking down another. And that's where your chronic liver problems come from. You know, because your body's never getting beyond, you know, step one or step two on its hierarchy of detoxification. Um, perfect example of this is, is methanol versus ethanol poisoning. If you got somebody with methanol or um, methanol poisoning, you actually treat them with giving them ethanol. It's mm-hmm. weird because the body will primarily break down the ethanol over the methanol. And that actually allows the glutathione system to come in and break down the formaldehyde and save them from dying of aldehyde poisoning. And it's this weird complex system, but I always use it to illustrate um, detoxification hierarchies. Hmm. Um, It's also why you never take acetaminophen or paracetamol with alcohol, Mm -hmm. because your body will preferentially break down the paracetamol or acetaminophen and... um, or sorry, break down the alcohol and the paracetamol and acetaminophen builds up into something called NAPQI, which is the most liver toxic substance known to man. And nice. yeah, right. Worse than aflatoxin? Sorry? Worse than aflatoxin? Yeah, uh, yeah. my understanding is, I, I can't remember, it's, it's wow. like naphthoquinolone and it's, it's, my understanding is it's the most liver toxic substance known to man. I could wow. be wrong. I'm going to look up aflatoxin, but yeah, no. Ask me my opinion on acetaminophen, and it's not very high. Um, yeah, I, well, I, I didn't know the details like you, but I always, I've always said the same. Like, if you if you if you're gonna hit the the uh, the booze, then uh, yeah, you better stay away from the um, Tylenol for a bit. Absolutely, that's uh, it's it's an extraordinarily dangerous combination, and the weird thing is, your only hope of remedying it um, is glutathione. Yeah. And so again, it gets you into the importance of supporting those detox systems and supporting those pathways. And I mean, that's like just getting really simplistic, but yeah. And, and of course you bring up aflatoxin and next thing you know, you're like, you're down the, the wormhole of peanut butter and oh people are not real. Uh, yeah. You know, 
and, 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 but again, that's getting back to the foundations. Like, why am I not doing as well as I'm hoping to? And then you start to realize it's like, you go through their diet and it's like, where are you buying your peanut butter? Mm. And you know, like that's the thing that's killing you and it's, you know, stop hurting yourself. So, so there's crazy. a paradox with uh, the foundations, right? So it seems like, uh, like I alluded to or said straight up before, like you, you have to know the pit. You th- you'd think we should know the foundations first, but we I think we sort of really firm them up as we get into practice a little bit. Um, and so you're going to be are you going to be teach you're going to be teaching or or contributing some uh, education on foundational uh, medicine? Yeah, I've I've put together a course because I've done a lot of I've had a lot of preceptors and students come through my practice over the years. Um, I'm a big believer in, in teaching in, in order to learn yourself. And so I like I, you know, kind of teach very selfishly, but in, in order to, um, because only when you talk to other people and talk to students or somebody asking you questions, do you really start to yeah, have that's to, that's when you learn, that's when you learn and that's when you master something is when you have to actually explain it. And then of course, that's when you realize your answers, I don't know. And you make a mental note of, well, now I got to go learn that and know that. Um, and so, but what I've noticed over the years is more and more often uh, medical graduates, not just naturopaths, but, you know, a variety of different medical students were coming out with, you know, a lot of really advanced um, ideas uh, for treatment and not knowing the basics of human health. Hmm. And there's this big disconnect that, well, let's, I mean, without getting too far into it, sick people make the medical industry a lot of money. You know, my my approach, one of my buy-in things, phrases that I use with patients is, I don't want to see you. And they're like, what? And I'm like, if you keep coming back, I'm not doing my job. I hope to teach you the, the, you know, tools and, um, and, and basically empower you that you don't need me or any other doctor, which is like completely counter to what the industry is. And in doing so, I filled up my practice. And it was actually when I tried to get rid of patients that I got busier and busier and busier. And so I've created this course to try and, like bring people back to the foundations of medicine really to create, because the one thing I'll say for, you know, any doctor getting out there in practice or doctors that have been in practice for years and just aren't seeing the success they, they wanted is that they're generally not getting patient success. Like I don't advertise, I don't even have business cards. My whole kind of like thing with patients is that, you know, they, they kind of look at me and they're like, thank you. And I'm like, you know, thank me when you're better. But the real way to thank me is tell your friends about me. Mm-hmm. And I only want your referral because I've genuinely helped you. Mm-hmm. And I'm very open with patients about my business strategies and that I, I openly ask them for their referrals. But I, I also very much state to them, I only want you to re- like, don't refer to me so that I'll like you because that's not how I work. Um, I only want you to refer to me because I've genuinely helped you and you want to share the healing that you've done with the people that you love. Yeah, that's and, awesome. Yeah, and that's why I'm into the foundations work, and I need to. It's replace a high myself. standard, right? It's a, it holds you to uh, having that mindset holds you to a really high standard. I think. Yeah, I believe in treating every patient as if they're a family member, and my whole thing is, I'm busy. I got a wait list. I I I would like to retire at some point, and I want to actually like get rid of my wait list, and I want. I want more doctors doing, and this sounds very egotistical and I, I hear it as I say it out loud. I want more doctors doing what I do. You know, every time our, our professions, naturopaths get attacked by medical doctors, my response is always, 
well, then do your job better. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, I mean, we live in Canada. We have free healthcare. Why is somebody, somebody's actively choosing to pay out of pocket to see me? Yeah. Right. If you did your job something. better. Right. If you did your job better. And, and, and like, I kind of joke, I don't believe in naturopaths. And I was like, what? Like, I just think all doctors should do what we do. There shouldn't be delineations of, you know, different sort of, you know, oh, well, you do drugs, therefore you're a medical doctor. Oh, you work with herbs, therefore you're a naturopath. It should be, you do medicine, and then we should all try to do, like, regardless of what it takes to get patients healing as fast and best as we can, that's what medicine should be focused on. But that's too idealistic, I realized. Well, I'm, I, I'm in the same club with you, man, the idealistic club. I So after learning all this osteopathic, like, evaluation of structure with hands-on, I'm like naturopaths need to do this like this needs to be done but that they've they've locked it down the well some specific subgroups i think of the osteopaths have locked it down with such a degree of um uh skill and and so i i think that it would be so great if if all us naturopaths knew how to do what these guys do i I agree with you i think if and I i think the same for doctors like even if it just gave you one more perspective to look through before you ran some tests or something like, cause these things don't have to be perfect. But if you know the problems in like the upper right quadrant, you can feel it with your damn hands, man, that, that narrows things down a hell of a lot. You know what I mean? I, I absolutely do. I love, I'm being on a zoom chat with you. I can, I saw the sudden change in passion in your face and I love it. I, I honestly do. I, I see an MFR practitioner who does like, he's a physiotherapist who does myofascial release. And it's it, like, I started reading on fascia and it literally blew my mind as cool. to how ignored that world and system is. And I didn't realize this because of course, when I graduated, this research hadn't even been done that we have white blood cells that are actually anchored as part of our fascial system. Hmm. So we cool. don't learn about this in immunology. We don't learn about this in any, in, in fact, in anatomy lab, when you go and look at a cadaver, they've spent, you know, to look at a leg, they've spent 18 hours cutting away all the fashion, throwing it out so yeah, that yeah. we can look, so that all us doctors can look at the, you know, muscles. arteries, veins, yeah, nerves, yeah. muscles, yeah. bones. Where'd that fascia go? That super important connective tissue yeah. that's a gigantic component of our immune system, we threw in the garbage before we studied human health. Like, gee, I wonder why we're not as successful as we thought we were going to be. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's interesting you say that too, because he, they talk about how, uh, like, Boral does, uh, the, the guy who, uh, who started this whole visceral thing, He's, he'll do dissections. He's like, we, the anatomist generally will will cut off. There's ligaments that attach the organs to other organs, but they're small, so they often cut them off because they're not like a patella. You know what I mean? So there's that same thing happening. Like I am so surprised, it, it, John. In in like 2023, we don't know as much as we could. It's and and we. It's not that we don't know as much as we could. We're actively ignoring it. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's I was worse. Just- that's what I was going to say. It's intentional ignorance. And that is the thing I've noticed in healthcare um, more so than almost anything is that intentional ignorance around it. Because when I try to talk to people about the immune system of the fascia, they just glaze over like, oh, that's yeah. difficult. Don't want to <laughs> don't want to include that as part of it. And then you start looking at all of your chronic pain patients with this generic 
sort of paroxysmal migrating pain, tightness, sin, inflammation syndrome. And you go, all right, well, who's looking at fascia? Nobody. And for me, I just, I refer, I've got all of every fascial worker within a hundred kilometers of me. Um, I'm filling up their practices because it's outside of my, my speciality. Yeah. It's, it's something. And again, that's my other big one is refer, refer, refer. Yeah, man. Yeah. Sure. I, teach, I teach in my course, find, know what you do best and then find as many people that do all the other stuff and yeah. fill their practices. Like if you're yeah. slow in, if you're slow in work, you don't have enough patience in your practice, start referring. Yeah. And everyone's like, what? I'm like, give away all your patience and you'll never be busier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. John, I think, I don't think it's egotistic what you were saying. You're like, is it egotistic that I want people to practice like me? No, because you are actively not trying to just ignore the pink elephant in the room anymore. And I think as healthcare practitioners, we all need to stop ignoring the pink elephant in the room. Like, and I think that that's a very valuable thing. There is some basic, obvious things that we missed. And I was guilty of this when I was a newer ND too, where I would think complex and I would start to be like, well, then there's a, and then what urban, and then meanwhile, it's just like, uh, they're just not happy in their relationship yeah. or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and if you just sat there and talked to the person, they will tell you exactly what they need, but we tend to make it more complicated because we feel like we have to give some elaborate mm-hmm. song and dance and some pill and some massive prescription and whatever, because people expect a pill for an ill people expect I have a chronic condition. So it should have a complex problem set, like self problem solving set where if you're not happy or you're in an abusive relationship or you hate your job and you go to that every freaking day, that's going to impact your sense of well being. And I think what you're teaching people is to stop ignoring the obvious. And I think that's actually an extremely important skill set. <laughs> No, I, well, thank you. And that's, that's one of the things I do is because, because I mean, I was in the natural health product industry, I, I formulated natural health products. I, I believe in their power to help heal people. Absolutely. And I also believe that if we actually live right and, and live well and healthy, we have zero need for them. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing is like, like I'm, 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 I always joke about every industry I ever work in. I spend my whole life trying to destroy um, probably, probably with the exception of farming, I'm trying to make more farmers and like, because I sit there and go, and, and that's sort of long winded roundabout as to the people are like, you know, like you don't know anything about farming. Like, why did you buy a farm and why are you doing this? And it was like, well, to learn a, I didn't know anything about being a doctor 20 years ago. And you know, now I'm a doctor and been in practice for 15 years. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's that always learning and always bettering yourself, um, but as you sort of move through different areas, you start to realize it's like, you know, yes, natural health products can be a very important part of somebody's healing and making sure that they're done well and ethically is I'm a huge believer in. Right. Um, and, and especially if somebody comes to you with a nutrient deficiency, can you fix it with diet? Sure. Um, but it might take you a year or two. Whereas right. if you like add a supplement, you can really speed that along. And for the, you know, it's that weird marriage of we live in the, you know, oh, I, I don't want to use the brand name, but the Google generation where, and I always ask patients and I, t- I talk to them about this and I say, when do you ever click page two of Google? And they don't, it's for instant gratification. So I say, like, if you don't mind, like, I'm going to give you pills here in order to help you feel better faster, because that's going to keep you motivated on this process. But I'm going to actually try to teach you the skills that you don't need any of these anymore. Maybe with the exception of vitamin D, because you're not probably, you know, living in Canada, you're probably not going to get enough sun exposure in the winter. 
Mm-hmm. But, you know, aside from that, it, it's, it's actually I'm like, here's your prescription and now let's work together to get rid of this. Yeah. And I think that's what pa- practitioners need to learn to not just do, like, not just do with patients, but communicate with patients about, yeah. um, and do that. You'll never have an empty day of practice. I want to bring it back to what you opened with, how there's that new statistic, how, um, like, was it the lifespan, how the average lifespan is actually starting to look like it could be shorter. And as we have evolved as humans, we think we're really smart. We make these convenient choices, but our health is suffering as a consequence of that. And going back to the simple things, simplifying where we can and going back to the foundational things, it's really what's going to allow us to maybe reclaim our health back. And I appreciate you bringing that back to the conversation, Jonathan, and coming on our podcast to share that with our audience. Well, thank you for, yeah, thank you for having me. And if there's, there's a great quote to that, which is um, Joel Salatin. I don't know if you know him. There's a quote in the movie Food Inc. And it's, we figured out we could feed cows corn, but nobody ever asked, should we feed cows corn? And it's one of those things that a lot of what we do is, we figured out we can do it, but we've never bothered to stop to reflect on, is this the best way for us? Great way to end our show. Thanks so much, John. Thanks so much for having me.